The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Okay, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Isaiah 42. I say this sometimes, but if you'll take your Bible and just let it fall open somewhere close to the middle, kind of half on either side, you should find uh, close to Isaiah. And if not, if you're um, not familiar with that portion, the Bible, and there's a Bible in the pew back in front of you. You can uh, take one of those, and every Bible has an index, a table of contents there at the beginning. And just like every other book, you can find where Isaiah is. Isaiah 42, while you're turning there, let me uh, take a moment to remind you that this evening at 4.30, I'll be uh, meeting in the fellowship hall, and we'll have some groups that are going to go into our neighborhood and just kind of minister to the people around us by caroling. And have some folks playing guitar, be a good time, and then to come back and um, drink some hot chocolate. And the weather is cooperating pretty good, so it may not feel like Christmas, so you might wear like a tank, tank top and shorts or something. I don't know how, what it'll be like this evening, but uh, if you want to be uh, 4.30, fellowship hall for that. And then let me remind you um, that next Saturday evening at 5 o'clock, we will have our uh, candlelight Christmas Eve service right here in the sanctuary, it's a great time, uh, fellowship together around God's Word as we celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to encourage you to invite friends and neighbors to come and to be a part of that as well. Isaiah chapter 42, let me read these first seven verses and then we'll pray and see what the Lord has for us today. Behold my servant whom I uphold, My chosen one in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until He has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands will wait expectantly for His law. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. And I will appoint you as a covenant to the people and as a light to the nations to open blinded eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in the darkness from the prison. Would you join me in a word of prayer this morning? Our Father, we do come to You now around Your Word and thank You for the opportunity to meet on this good Lord's Day, to have our Bible study earlier where we can learn more about Your Word and visit with each other and pray for each other. We thank You for the opportunity to worship together as a corporate body whereby we can fellowship and sing and give and pray. And uh, Lord, now we come to this time around Your Holy Word. And I pray that You would change us from the inside out. 
Uh, Lord, through it, that we would be conformed to the image of Your Son as we look toward Christmas Day and the celebration of Your Son's birth. Please help us now this morning. For it is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. At least seven verses today, I just want to make a few observations for you and so you can follow along in your bulletin. I've titled this morning's lesson, Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Now before we start, you must back up whenever you're, for those of you that like to teach or even when you're helping your family or friends understand the Scripture, whenever you're in the Old Testament, uh, you can't just start by saying, look to Jesus, alright? If you're going to take a text of Scripture from the Old Testament and make that kind of statement, then you need to make sure that you're helping people see how it is that you get to Jesus, not just kind of skipping over large portions of the Bible. But for sake of time today, I'll just say to you the way that we are justified by saying that Isaiah 42 is directly involved with and speaking about none other than the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, is that in Luke chapter number 2, when Joseph and Mary are taking uh, the Lord Jesus Christ up to be seen, uh, this prophet or this man Simeon comes out and God had spoken to Simeon and said, you will not die until you have seen the salvation of the people of God. And Simeon scoops up Jesus into his arms and he prophesies over Joseph and Mary at that time, speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he quotes directly Isaiah 42, verse number 7, that this one whom he holds in his arms is the fulfillment of this passage and that he should be a light to the nations to deliver those who sit in darkness and those who are in the bondage of sin. If that is not enough, then the New Testament writer Matthew in Matthew chapter number 12 attributes this very same passage, Isaiah 42, verse 1 through 7, to the same Lord Jesus both in His ministry. And it is quoted directly there by Matthew concerning Christ Jesus that He is the fulfillment of this Old Testament prophecy. So you see today we are justified to say that the passage that stands before us, it is clear that we are to look Look to Jesus, for it is attributed to Him both in His birth and in His ministry and in His death and resurrection. Jesus is the one, the light of the world that brings salvation to His people and those who sit in darkness. So first of all this morning, from verse number 1, and uh, let me make this point to you. Who is Jesus? Simple enough. Who is Jesus? Maybe you're visiting with us today and this will be the first time you've been in church in a while and you're uh, saying, okay, I, I need something simple. I need something to grasp onto. Well, we don't want to dive into all of the details, but from this passage, we simply first of all want to acknowledge that question and say, who is Jesus? What is the nature of Christ Jesus? Well, look back, if you would, at verse number 1. It begins by saying the word, Behold. And the word behold is like, uh, for those of you that are on Facebook, whenever you, uh, whenever you put something in all caps, it's like you're yelling at somebody and you're texting, right? That's what the word behold means. It means look intently. Take all of your attention and put upon this one. And in fact, if you were to back up into the previous chapter, you would find that two times in the 
the last chapter, God is speaking about all of the false idols in the world. And He says, behold these false idols. Behold these false idols. They can never deliver. They can never redeem. They can never save. They can never help anybody. And now He comes to Isaiah 42, and God says to all of us with a grand shout, Behold my servant. My servant. But it is not only His servant, but it is the servant whom He upholds. That is that the Father in heaven upholds His very servant, Jesus. Not only that, but it says here that He is my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon Him. And so, first of all this morning, when we say, who is Jesus? I would say that He is the servant of God. He is the servant. This is the first of four servant songs recorded for us in Isaiah. He is that grand and wonderful servant of the Father that comes to redeem those who put their faith and trust in Him And what do you notice about God's particular servant? That He is upheld by the hand of the Father throughout all eternity past and through all eternity in the future. And in the very present day, the Father and the Son are working together for the redemption of the nations. And the Father loves the Son and upholds Him in His servant ministry. Who is Jesus? He is the Father's great servant. Who is Jesus? He is the elect one. He is the chosen one. Look at what it says here. Not only is He a servant, but He is is my chosen one. But look at the modifier here. He is my chosen one in whom my soul delights. Who is the one that is doing the delighting here? I would say to you, I would submit to you, that it is the Father in heaven that is working with the Son, and He says to all of us here today, my soul delights in the work of my chosen one. Now just pause for a moment and have a word of premature application. God has a soul. The Bible teaches that we were created in the image of God, and the image of God created He us. That's what it says in Genesis chapter number 1. And just like we are body, soul, and spirit, or just like we are material and immaterial, just like we have a physical body, but we also have an immaterial part of us that makes up the true spiritual nature of all human beings, so the Bible says God is spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. God has a soul. And if God's soul delights in the work of His Son, just who do you think we should delight in? Jesus. Now I just want to pause for a moment and ask you, did you delight this week in Jesus Christ? I I mean really, did did you pause for a few minutes and just pray and say how thankful you are? Did you let your heart become warmed as John Wesley would say, that my heart became strangely warm. Have you had this past week, have you just paused for a few minutes to delight not in what you own or what you don't own? Have you paused this week not to delight in so much of your family or food or where you'll be on Christmas Day, but have you delighted in Jesus Christ? 
Is your soul made happy over the provision of the Son in the manger who would come into the world and die for your sins and redeem you? I tell you that the Father in heaven rejoices and finds joy and has delight in His soul over the work of His chosen servant, Jesus Christ, our delight and the, the, the power of our soul and the joy of our emotions should be wrapped up in nothing else but Jesus alone. Jesus alone. Who is Jesus? Right? He's God's servant. He's God's chosen one. And He is also the bearer of God's Spirit. Look back down at verse 1. I have put my Spirit upon Him. Oh, now you might be thinking about when Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. You remember this story? Where the voice out of heaven, that is the Father, says, this is My Son in whom I am well pleased. And the Bible says that the Spirit of God in the form of a dove lowers down upon Jesus. And there we have in picturesque form the Trinity of the voice of the Father and the Spirit and the Son together. What do you see in this verse before you? Look at the pronoun there, My. It is saying, My servant, My chosen one, My Spirit. That is speaking of the Father. Father in heaven. And who is the servant and who is the chosen one? It is none other than Jesus Christ. And who is the third person of the Trinity? It is the Spirit of the living God that descends upon His servant. Look at this, right in this verse. It is the power of the Trinity and the birth of Christ in Bethlehem. All for us. Not only was the Spirit of God placed upon Jesus at His baptism, so, if we were to read Luke chapter 1 and 2 today, would we not find that the angel of the Lord visited Mary and said, the Holy Spirit of God shall come upon you and there will be an virginal conception whereby the Spirit of God will cause the birth of the living God of heaven to come down in human form, both God and both human nature in one person, two natures, unmixed. And it will be this virginal conception and this virginal birth, and God will come into the world and redeem us of all of our sins, the work of the Trinity, in the very birth of Christ. For us. Who is Jesus? He is God. Last night, uh, Connie and I were uh, watching television and uh, haven't been feeling the best since Friday, and you'll know that I wasn't feeling the best because when she said, hey, can we watch this musical Christmas special? I said, sure, honey, let's watch it. <laughs> why a human being would choose to do that, I know not why. No. We watched this thing. Uh, it, was, it was fun. Yeah, we watched, I think, Pen and Tonics. If you're not familiar with them, they had a Christmas special on night last night. And, you know, we sat there, and in our, our hearts, we rejoiced together over the gift of music and the gift of beautiful voices that God has given many people, uh, like many of those that we're singing today, not like yours truly. But isn't it wonderful just to rejoice in the gift of musical talent that God gives people? We rejoiced in that. And then, you know, we rejoiced together that they were singing 
singing songs about Jesus Christ. And so the world was listening. Even for a brief few moments, the world was listening to true Christian Christmas songs about Jesus. And we were rejoicing together. But the longer we spoke together, and the longer we watched that, there was a tinge of grief in our hearts as we watched these people on stage making a grand show. And all of these people that were in the, in the crowd, I wanted to say in the congregation, but in the crowd, and they were singing this beautiful song, Mary, did you know? And they got to this place where the solo voice says, did you know when you kissed your baby, you were kissing the face of God? And they erupted in applause and standing and shouting. And I said, I was thinking in my mind, I wonder if for a brief moment, if we could run out on that stage, stop all the music, and say to all the people there, this baby who you're rejoicing in grows up to be the king of the universe. And what He requires is for you to bow your heart, confess all of your sin, turn to Him, and give Him complete control of every ounce of your life and every day you will ever live. I wonder how many people would say, yes, that's what we're rejoicing in. The same feeling came across me a few years ago when I was watching an episode of Oprah. Hopefully that's not recorded. <laughs> Josh Grober was singing a beautiful song, Oh Holy Night. The stars were brightly shining. And he crescendos this song about the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. And there Oprah is with tears running down and people are just hooping and hollering. And I can't help but think in my heart, who is Jesus to you? Is He just a babe in the manger? Is He just a sentimental time of year? Is He just warm and fuzzy and cozy? Is He Ricky Bobby's Jesus, the baby Jesus? Or is He the God of the universe who saves the souls of people who trust Him and demands even in the manger that you bow your life before Him and make Him King of kings and Lord of lords? Let me show you a second point today. Not only does this text teach us who Jesus is, this text teaches us what Jesus is like. And can I just pause for a moment and say, if you're here today and your heart's hurting, and maybe you're tired and weak and wounded, pay close attention to this second point. For I find great encouragement in this portion of the text. Notice with me the end of verse number 1. You're going to put that together. The end of verse number 1 all the way through verse number 4. And here's what you want to be circling or highlighting or looking in your text. Look for this repeating phrase, He will. About six times you'll see that phrase, He will. Look with me now at the end of verse number 1. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or raise His voice nor make a fuss in the streets. A bruised reed, watch it, He will not break. 
and a dimly burning wick, He will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until He has established justice in the earth and the coastlands will wait expectantly for His law. Out of those six He wills. Let me boil all of that down maybe into four points about the character of Jesus. Well, who is Jesus and what is Jesus like in the flesh? I would say first of all, from this text, you cannot get away from the fact that Jesus is just. Jesus is just. Look back at the end of verse number 1 and notice these three repetitions here. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Look at the end of verse number 3. He will faithfully bring forth justice. And look at the middle portion of verse number 4. Until He has established justice in the earth. What do we learn about the character and the virtue and the value of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that He he was born into this world, into the manger in Bethlehem because He is a God of justice. And in our westernized society and right here in Raleigh, that may not mean a whole bunch to you this morning. And you may not be thinking about the justice of the living God, but I want you to know that all around the world there are refugees and hurting people and people that are having mass genocide taken out upon their people groups and they are crying and longing for a God who will bring justice into the world. And we serve a Jesus. We serve a King who desires to bring justice into the world and He will bring justice. Amen? You know, part of the reason why you understand and you must think inside is why are we not just our only DNA dancing to our own synapses as uh, Richard Dawkins would say, but why is there more going on inside of the human body? Because we have these things that are given to us that are absolutes and all people have them at all times. And it is intuitive in human nature a sense of justice and injustice. And we long and cry out for justice. Did you see this week that brutal killer down in South Carolina? When that beautiful and wonderful church more than a year ago tried to bring destruction and mayhem and cause a race war by killing people. And he was pronounced guilty on all charges. And inside there is something that says justice will be served. And yet, longing and crying in the back corners of our mind, we understand that His prison sentence or even His death sentence will not bring back the lives of the people that He took. Human justice only goes so far. Aren't you thankful that God is the God of divine justice and righteousness and goodness. And in the close of all the world, when God folds up the world and we all stand before Him, there will come a day of eternal justice and judgment for that young man. And God will make all things right. But even before we get to the end of the world, God began to make all things right when His Son was born into the world of the Virgin Mary 
lived a beautiful and wonderful and sinless life, went to the cross of Calvary, and all of the sin and all of the shame and all of the wickedness and all of the guilt of all of the people who would ever for time and eternity believe on Him, He took into Himself all of our sin and took the just wrath of God so that men and women and boys and girls sitting in this room today under the sound of my voice could turn from their sin, put their confidence in Jesus, have all of their sin washed away, and before the eyes of the just God of eternity have everlasting salvation. Amen? Amen. Amen. He's a God of justice. I would say Jesus is humble. Look down at the text, if you will. Verse number 2. He will not cry out. Notice the ascension in this verse, how it gets stronger as it goes. He will not cry out or raise His voice. Maybe I should take a note from that. He will not cry out or raise His voice, right? Nor make His voice heard in the street. Now, my dear friends, listen. Maybe all you have to do is read the New Testament and find that Jesus is preaching from street corner to street corner and from temple to temple. Jesus goes everywhere lifting up His voice like a trumpet and making the Gospel known. has nothing to do with the preaching and the teaching of the Gospel of Jesus. This is simply speaking of Jesus wasn't boastful. Jesus didn't walk around saying, look at me, look at how big I am. Jesus wasn't interested in all of His accolades. In fact, further on in, the, in this book of Isaiah, the Bible says in Isaiah 53 that as a lamb before her shearers is dumb, so He, that is Christ, opened not His mouth. And when He stands before Pilate and He is accused by all of the Sanhedrin, He does not open His mouth in defense. He does not open His mouth in pride, but in humility He dies for all of us. Not only is He humble, He's compassionate. This is my favorite part of this text. Look down there, and if you would, at verse number 3. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. My dear friends, I want you to know today that if you're here and you're bruised, or if you're here today and you're burned out, God will not break you and God will not snuff you out. God is compassionate. Christ didn't come to break the reed. Christ came to help the reed. Christ didn't come to snuff out your life and snuff you out. Christ came to save us and to love us and to help us. And I know that there are people here today who are hurting and in need of the grace and the mercy of God. And my dear friend, I tell you that if you put this off and you wait and you walk away from the gospel offer of trusting Jesus and you live your life and die in your sins, there will be nothing but judgment in the future. But right now, while you have this time, while you have this opportunity, Jesus is calling to you. He loves you. He cares for you. He died for you. And if you're bruised or burned out, Jesus is here to save you and to love you and to care for you. And you know what? There, there are believers here today and you're bruised. And Sometimes you feel like you're burning the candle at both ends. Christ is here to help. Not only is He compassionate, let me show you this. He is strong. Look at the, uh, look at the end of here. Of, um, well, look at verse 4. Watch this in your Bible. You notice how it says here, He will not be disheartened or crushed. Do you see that? 
You probably have some words pretty similar to that in verse number 4. He will, that is Jesus, He will not be disheartened or crushed. Those are the same two words that are used in verse number 3 for break and extinguish. You see what's going on in the text? I thought about putting it up here on the screen for you. I didn't have time this week. I should have worked on that. What's going on here is that the Bible is simply saying here that for you, the compassionate part of Christ is He will not break you and He will not extinguish you. And the reason why is that He is strong enough to never be crushed and to never be put out. There are many people in our lives that make us promises, but there is only one who can continually keep the promises He makes. And that's Jesus, right? That's Jesus. That's what Jesus is like. Let me finish by just telling you this. What does Jesus do? What does Jesus do? Verse 5 to verse 7 kind of gives us this. What does Jesus do? Who is Jesus? What is Jesus like? And what does Jesus do? First thing I would say under that is that He does the will of God. Isn't that what Jesus said? I, I do always those things that please my Father. Look back down at the text, if you would, in verse number 5. Thus says God the Lord. And then look at the modifiers here of God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all of its offspring, who gives breath to the people and even the Spirit. Do you see the ascension there? It is from the heavens to the earth to the humanity that is upon the earth. God is the God of creation. He is the one that is establishing all of this. And the Lord Jesus Christ will do the will of the Father. And then look what it says here in verse 6. I am the Lord. What does it say? I have called you in righteousness. Not only does He do the will of the Father, He fulfills the covenant of God. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. And look what it says in your text. And I will appoint you as a covenant to the people. You know, in the Old Testament, starting all the way back in the book of Genesis with Abraham, uh, God makes these covenants periodically with uh, Abraham and then with David. And in the book of Ezekiel, we have the new covenant. You know what God does when He makes a covenant with Abraham? All right, don't get grossed out. I know you got lunch coming, okay? And God says, I want you to take uh, some animals, sometimes various kinds of animals. He says, I want you to cut the animal in half and lay the body parts on either side and let the blood run into the middle. And both of us will we'll walk, when you make a covenant, both of us will walk through the middle of that sacrifice, those cut-in-half animals. And when you make a covenant in that way, what you're saying is, be it done to me this if I break the covenant. If you break a covenant with somebody, cut in half. When God made a covenant with Abraham, He said, Abraham, I want you to cut those sacrifices in half. And then God caused sleep to fall upon Abraham. And the Bible says that God alone walked through the middle of the sacrifices. Do you know what God was saying to Abraham? Be it done to me if I break my covenant with you. Even if it means my death, I'll keep my covenant. And that baby in the manger who is so cute and so adorable and cooing in the arms of Mary one day would lay stretched out upon a cross with a bloody back 
and a crown of thorns upon his head, beaten, so Isaiah says, beyond the recognition, marred and scarred beyond the recognition of a man, a piece of meat hanging on a brutal cross. Why? So that God would keep His covenant with you and die for the sins of those who would believe. What's it end up saying? Not only does He keep His covenant, but He brings salvation to the nations. Look at the end of verse number 7. As a light to the nations to open the blinded eyes to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness. That's what Jesus came to do. And that's what He does right now in this room today. An author that I really like uh, just writes some fun fictional books. Uh, his name is Philip Gully. And in his Christmas special book, it's a Midwestern kind of town and it's all about a church in the Midwest and all of the kind of funny little things that happen in church life. And in his Christmas book, this is how he ends the first chapter. God could have called or sent a lawyer to scrupulously define the limits of love. And instead, He sent a child whom He was well pleased with. And maybe you're in here today and you've spent all of your life trying to earn salvation or trying to meet up to God's standards or trying to live in such a way that you would be accepted. I want you to know that God has not sent a lawyer to read the fine print for you of what it takes for you to go to heaven. God sent His only Son into the world to be born and to live and to die and be raised again so that you could have eternal life. And if you're here today and you're a believer, but maybe you're hurting a little bit, or maybe you're here and your, your thought life has started to get off a little bit. The closer we get to Christmas and the busier we are, as Jamie was telling us about, I want to draw you back in today. I want to say Christmas is all about Christ and what He came to do for us. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? Maybe this is an opportunity for you just to pray. Maybe you can just talk with God right there where you are, privately. Maybe you haven't had an opportunity to do that this week. It's been a busy week for you. Now here's an opportunity just to talk with Jesus. He is God's servant. He is beautiful and kind. And He came to save you and help you. I'd say to you today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, give yourself to Him right where you are. And for many of you that do know Jesus, give your life back to Him fresh today. Be like the Father and let your soul delight in the work of Jesus. You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.